It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to the 2009 Major League Baseball First Year Player Draft. The Washington Nationals select Steven Strasburg. He strikes out the side. He brings his total to 14. Nolan Arenado. He was drafted in the second round. Career hit number 1,000. Paul Goldschmidt drafted out of Texas State. That's number 200. J.D. was drafted and developed by the Astros. Homers in four consecutive plate appearances. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim select Michael Trout. A unanimous American League MVP, Mike Trout. Swinging first pitch, drives one out to center field. That ball is gone! Big fly for Mike Trout! Greetings, baseball fans. I'm Anthony Kastrovitz, MLB.com national columnist, and this is the sixth and final installment of our series going deep on the 2009 MLB Amateur Draft and how it changed baseball. October 18th, 2013. Game 6 of the National League Championship Series between the Cardinals and Dodgers. With the Cardinals up 3-2 in the best of seven set, it was Michael Waka, the rookie sensation who had been so good that October, against Clayton Kershaw, the elite lefty who had been so good his entire career. It was still scoreless when Matt Carpenter stepped to the plate with one out in the bottom of the fourth. What followed was an exhausting yet entertaining battle between Carpenter and Kershaw. Ball one, strike one, strike two, foul ball, foul ball, foul ball, foul ball, foul ball. Then another ball, then another foul. And then finally, the payoff. Line to right. That's down and fair into the corner. And Carpenter heads to second. Weed up and throwing. And that is a stand-up double. That was the at-bat that broke Kershaw on that night. Sparked by the Carpenter double, the Cardinals would score four runs that inning and nine on the night. And with game six now a nine-to-nothing laugher, Trevor Rosenthal faced Mark Ellis with two out and two strikes in the ninth. World Series bound for the fourth time in ten years. It'll be the Cardinals in the World Series representing the National League. The Cardinals were in the midst of a run of four straight NLCS appearances, and they had just clinched their fourth World Series berth of the young century. In a sport that demands so much of its clubs in the war of attrition that is a 162-game schedule and the pinball game that October baseball in the wildcard era had become, that history was impressive enough. But within the baseball industry, what was most respected about the Cardinals' latest run to the Fall Classic was the way the roster had come together. When the Cardinals mobbed each other near the mound at Bush Stadium in celebration of their NL pennant, there in the crowd was Carpenter, a former 13th round draft pick who had become the club's leadoff hitter and wins above replacement leader in 2013. There was Rosenthal, a former 21st rounder who became the closer. There was Shelby Miller, 
a former first-rounder who had won 15 games with a 3.06 ERA. There was former third-round pickup Joe Kelly, a member of the playoff rotation. And there was a former 23rd-rounder named Matt Adams, the starting first baseman. All five of those players contributed to the Cardinals' clout in 2013. All five of them would be on the World Series roster. And amazingly, all five of them had been members of the club's 2009 draft class. It was a connection that made the achievement of advancement all the more special, as Matt Carpenter explains. It was a great year. I mean, um, you know, they had obviously a lot of great talents come out of that. 2013 was kind of the year that that group flourished. We went to won the National League Championship, played in the World Series, lost to Boston. Everybody that you just mentioned had an impact on that season at some point. Um, and, and, you know, to see that kind of come together all from the same draft is pretty special. As Carpenter mentioned, the 2013 Cardinals lost the World Series to the Red Sox, and Carpenter is the only one of those five pieces who remains with St. Louis. But we can look at 2009 as an example of the draft as an effective means of restocking a system. When the stock runs as deep as it did for the Cardinals that year, it is affirmation of the system put in place by the scouting director. In 2009, in St. Louis, that scouting director was Jeff Luno. You know him now as the general manager of an Astros team that won the first World Series in Houston's history in 2017. The Astros employed both analytics and cutting-edge technology to create a template for success in a copycat industry. But the Astros also advanced as an American League superpower in an old-fashioned way by using the draft to acquire two cornerstone players in Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman, an important pitching piece in Lance McCullers Jr., and two of the three trade chips that would be used to reel in the finishing touch, Justin Verlander. The draft methodologies Luno created in St. Louis clearly translated to Houston, and they forever changed the Astros franchise. So, has Luno mastered the draft? Has anybody? We're talking about a process soaked in surplus and fraught with failure, and the Astros can attest to that with their number one overall picks in 2013 and 14. But more on that in a little bit. For now, just know that more than 30% of first-round picks and 90% of the total players selected in a given draft don't even make it to the big leagues. And to be clear, Luno was one of 21 scouting directors who passed on Mike Trout in 2009. Here's what he has to say about that miss. Um, I remember one of the issues was that, uh, not that I needed to see somebody perform, but when I went out to see Trout in uh, New Jersey, um, it was a cold, windy day. You know, he took infield outfield. When he came up to bat, he had a walk and a rollover ground out to second base. So I never saw the things that other people had seen. Um, and it was tough to scout him in the Northeast. I mean, people had seen him right, on, the, right. on the circuit, but it was, it was a little tougher to get good looks at him. So Luno, like so many others, whiffed on Trout. But he did an effective enough job in St. Louis in 2009 and his other years as the head of amateur scouting to catch the eye of Astros owner Jim Crane at a time when Houston was hobbling. Funny thing about the so-called tanking model, stripping a baseball team down to the studs with the objective of acquiring high-profile picks in the draft doesn't really work if you don't draft well. In the midst of a total teardown, the Astros knew they had to get that part of it right. Look at it this way. From 2005, which was Luno's first season heading up the Cardinals' player procurement process, until 2011, his last St. Louis drafted and signed 25 players who would go on to be worth at least one win above replacement in their major league careers. The Astros, in that same span, 
just 11. So you could understand why Luno appealed to the Astros eight years ago. And his draft work a decade ago, which actually netted a grand total of 10 players who would at least reach the big leagues, was arguably his greatest accomplishment in St. Louis, even if, as he says, he didn't know it at the time. I didn't know. I liked the draft, but I tended to like every draft that we made. Um, And so I didn't know at the time it was going to be as impactful as it was. But it wasn't. It was about a year later when Carpenter and Adams were hitting and, you know, Joe Kelly was showing his stuff. And obviously Shelby Miller became a top prospect almost immediately that um, I had a pretty good feeling that this draft was going to produce. I mean, my goal was always four big leaguers for every draft. And hopefully one or two of them are above average major league players. Uh, it's a high bar to set for a draft, but uh, in my years as scouting director, starting with 05 all the way through 11, I mean, the, the output was pretty, pretty high overall for that period. But 09 was the, you know, carried, carried a lot of the weight for those draft years. The Cardinals made an initial investment into Luno at a time when he had no baseball experience. After getting his MBA from Northwestern, he had worked in mechanical and chemical engineering and then transitioned to management consulting. When Cardinals owner Bill DeWitt Jr. brought him aboard in a senior executive position in 2003, the move was derided by some baseball folks and, to be sure, some Cardinals front office members. And Luno, in turn, brought in some people from non-traditional backgrounds, programmers and database experts, to push the cards towards the cutting edge of analytics. In his initial years heading up the draft, He selected quite a few names that helped preserve the Cardinals' run of excellence, including the 2011 World Series win over the Rangers. That list included Alan Craig, John Jay, Jaime Garcia, and Lance Lynn. But because the Cardinals sustained their success so well, they didn't often draft in prominent positions. In 2009, their first pick came at number 19 overall. With the 19th selection in the first round of the 2009 first-year draft, The St. Louis Cardinals select Shelby Miller, a right-handed pitcher from Brownwood High School, Brownwood, Texas. Luno remembers the lead-up to that pick as follows. You know, the pick was coming towards us. We had talked a lot about Shelby Miller. We had him ranked as one of the best high school pitchers in the draft, probably around number 10 overall, but we had Trout uh, in that area. There was some questions about Trout's signability that year, and we were getting information real time Mm -hmm. about the fact that trout had put out a big number and so for us it was uh it was a tough call we ended up going with the high school right-hander because we had been uh, all the way that the cardinals were drafting back then made it almost impossible to take a right-hander in the first round of the draft because of all the risk with injury and risk with uh, longevity and everything else and just the failure rate of of right-handed pitchers in the first round of the draft but Shelby Miller checked all the boxes that we were looking to check. He had very clean mechanics. He was a big, strong guy. He already had an arsenal that looked, looked to be major league ready. Um, and he came from Texas and was uh, just a tough kid. So uh, for us, the ability to, we knew that we were probably not going to get a, a, a high school pitcher like him, that somebody would be ranked in the top 10 um, again. So we decided to pull the trigger on him. So Shelby Miller it was. He would be up in the big leagues by 2012 and a key member of the Cardinals rotation in 2013 and 2014. Prior to the 2015 season, he was dealt to the Braves in a trade for Jason Hayward. And when Hayward left in free agency to sign a gargantuan contract with the rival Cubs, 
the Cardinals received a compensation draft pick that they used to select Dakota Hudson, an intriguing young arm that could be a factor on their pitching staff for a while. So while nobody is claiming Miller was a great pick, especially with Trout on the board, he certainly made a positive impact in his brief time with the Cardinals, and the tentacles of that acquisition are still present in the organization. Most teams, most years, would take that at number 19. As is typical with the draft, there would be some hits, some misses, and some truly unmemorable selections in the many rounds that followed. The Cardinals whiffed in the second round with the selection of USC catcher Robert Stock, but one round later, they got Kelly, who was fantastic for them in a swingman role in 2013 and would eventually fill an important relief role for the World Series champion Red Sox in 2018. Over the next nine rounds, the Cardinals selected one player, just one, who even set foot in the big leagues. That was shortstop Ryan Jackson, a fifth rounder who played 42 games for the Cards and Marlins in the 2012, 2013, and 2015 seasons. So, how do you get it that bad in that many of the early rounds and still have a draft worth discussing a decade later? You do what the Cardinals did, and you get Carpenter in round 13. Now, nobody's suggesting Carpenter is the greatest round 13 pickup in MLB history, nor is he the greatest round 13 pickup in Cardinals history. That would be a 1999 acquisition out of Maplewoods Community College by the name of Jose Alberto Pujols. You know him as Albert. But if anybody ever compiles the list of greatest fifth-year seniors to play in MLB, and they really should, Carpenter has a very prominent place on that list. He came out of TCU, where, in his junior year, he was hurt and he was out of shape. Carpenter tore his elbow ligament on a throw in the infield and needed Tommy John surgery. He also weighed in around 240 pounds because of his poor eating and workout habits away from the field. You would never know it to look at him now, but at one time, Carpenter had the nickname Fat Matt. I mean, I was the furthest thing away from a major league prospect. I was... Um, I think a career 290 hitter with I think I had maybe two home runs up to that point and that was with the old bats the old college bats where the balls were flying I mean if you didn't hit 10 then you were you just had no power and um, so I you know I was wasn't in great shape physically um, so nowhere near what I should have been and what I eventually became Carpenter can look back now at the Tommy John surgery as a blessing in cast-wrapped disguise. It earned him a medical redshirt and allowed him to essentially hit the reset button on his collegiate career. Right around this time, his coach Jim Sloshnagel gave Carpenter a blunt assessment of his situation. He told him he was wasting his talent. Carpenter remembers that conversation like it was yesterday. It was a life changer. I mean, I, got, I can remember the conversation. I actually, it was about this time of the year... Um, roughly 11 years ago. Um, as a matter of fact, I sent my coach a, a letter um, 10 years to the date of when he called me in his office and we had the conversation that ended up... This was head coach Schlossner. Jim Schlossner. It was, a, it was the conversation that changed my life. And um, really, he just laid it out there, let me know, kind of opened my eyes to the mediocrity that I had become or that I was living in. And... Um, you know, the player that he thought that I was capable of being and the player that he thought he recruited, was I had not shown that at all, and, and there were some reasons for that. And I had to make a lot of changes, and I left that office um, that day with a renewed, found 
energy that um, ignited me from that step forward to, I just think that, you know, I, I was at such a low point that, um, you know, my, in my head, my kind of dream and thought that, you know, I'm a guy who always kind of has a plan or a vision. And my vision was I was going to be at TCU for three years and get drafted and go on. Well, my junior year's here. Um, I've never had one conversation with a scout. And now I'm hurt. I'm going to sit out the entire year. So the thought of getting drafted is completely out the window. And the guys that I got recruited with that I came in are all about to leave and go on and sign. And I'm going to be here, you know, the out-of-shape guy with, a, with an arm injury. And, you know, when you love something like as much as I did, I mean, I truly love the game of baseball. When it gets taken away from you, I think that that is a big motivator. And I used it to fuel um, what ended up being the greatest run of my life and still currently on it. Carpenter changed his habits overnight. No more pizza, no more soda, no more excuses. His redshirt junior year, he made second team all conference. His senior year, he set a school record with 23 doubles and was voted team MVP as the Horned Frogs reached the NCAA Super Regional. When TCU lost to the University of Texas in that tournament, Carpenter walked off the field thinking he had played baseball for the last time. Despite all the changes and all the success, he hadn't heard from a single scout. Little did he know that the Cardinals were watching and that they wanted him. Ten years later, Carpenter is a three-time All-Star at three different positions, a Silver Slugger winner, and a two-time extension recipient. The same guy who once almost ate himself out of baseball is now known for having his own garden that he utilizes to make his own so-called magic salsa. He's become one of John Mosellock's all-time favorite players, as the Cardinals' president of baseball operations explains. Well, I think it's just a great story. It's, it's, a, it's a story of perseverance. I, I think a lot of people, when they hear a, a Matt Carpenter-type story, they a lot of times they're like, well, that could be me. Or they say, it's kind of impossible but yet he did it. And, and to me, when, when I didn't know Matt Carpenter at TCU. I don't know, I know the stories, I know what was said. Maybe the best way to say it is, he peaked at the right time. A lot of times, you know, people try to peak when they're 16 or 17. Yeah. Others peak at 21, but in, in a career, when is it best? And, you know, Matt Carpenter's timing was perfect. There would be other success stories for the Cardinals in that draft, and their process for making those picks was instructive. In the 21st round, Luno trusted the instincts of Aaron Looper, a scout and former big league reliever who had a hunch that Rosenthal, who was primarily a shortstop at Cowley Community College in Kansas, had the arm strength to make it work on the mound. Here's how Luno describes that pick. What the deal there was I allowed each scout to have two stickers, gut feel stickers. And this is not something that I started. It was actually a tradition in the Cardinals among the cross-checkers and the scouting directors before me back to, um, you know, Freddie uh, McAllister, where you let each scout say, these are the two guys that I really think, put everything else aside the way we write them up, I think they're going to exceed expectations for whatever reason as a scout, I'm going to put my name on these two guys. 
and uh, Looper put his gut feel sticker on Trevor Rosenthal and I said the shortstop uh, and he said no I, I think I like him as a pitcher I saw him I saw him he's got a strong arm I saw him pitch but now we're in the 20 something round and at this point um, you know you, you look around the room and, and if a scout tells a, a impassioned story about a guy he really wants at that point it's probably put a good idea to take him and that's that's what we did and it wasn't too long before Rosenthal proved us right sometimes Luna went with incalculable gut feelings and sometimes he went with what the numbers told him the 2009 draft was the first time the Cardinals were using some algorithms to translate division two stats to division one rating the elite performers at d2 schools given the inferior competition was and still is difficult but Adams, a catcher from Slippery Rock University in western Pennsylvania, had numbers that stood out. Um, so what we decided to do, our scout liked him, didn't like him as a catcher, but said this guy can hit. It's worth bringing him to Bush Stadium. So we brought him to Bush Stadium in our workout, and we really tried to work him out as a catcher. And we did everything we could, and we had a lot of good scouts that had been catchers, guys like Chuck Fick, etc. Um, and they were saying, you know, I don't think he's going to be able to catch, but maybe he can catch in the lower minors. Uh, but then we threw uh, balls to him, and, and he hit, I'm not kidding, three or four balls into the grass area in center field in Bush Stadium. And, you know, you really can tell when you, when you have a workout at a major league stadium, um, it's a lot harder to hit balls out than you think. And yeah, we had college kids, we had D1, D2 high school kids, and and he hit the ball harder than anybody that day. So when, um, when it came time again late in the draft, at that point, I think you're looking for upside. You're looking for maybe one exceptional tool because you know you're not going to get a three-tool player at that point in the draft. And we had all seen with our own eyes that Matt, Matt Adams had power and a nice, smooth, left-handed swing. And why not? Let's take him and see how it goes. So that's how you get 20% of a World Series roster in a process in which most teams ordinarily consider themselves fortunate to get three, maybe four, legitimate big leaguers? The scouts give you the nuance behind the numbers, and maybe you get really lucky and a kid like Carpenter comes along and blossoms late. The Cardinals' 2009 haul was by no means perfect. It didn't include Trout, and it didn't include Paul Goldschmidt, despite Sig Magdal, who headed up St. Louis's analytics department and would follow Luno to the Houston front office, literally pounding the table for the Texas State first baseman, who is now, ironically enough, the Cardinals' first baseman. So that draft class obviously could have been better, and it doesn't look quite as overwhelmingly great today as it did in the fall of 2013. But by the standards of the incredibly imprecise process that the draft is, it's still a standout class. And as those five players were progressing well in the Cardinals system at the end of 2011, that class was something Luno could point to in his interviews with Crane as a sign that his methods were sound. Luno and his crew proved that again in 2012, the first year MLB had instituted draft bonus pools that restricted team spending. Houston took Carlos Correa number one overall, even though the consensus called for Byron Buxton to get selected in that spot. The Astros took Correa not just for his talent, but for his price tag. Signing Correa for $4.8 million in a year in which Buxton signed for $6 million allowed the Astros to take a chance later in the first round on McCullers, the reigning National Gatorade Player of the Year, who had slipped to number 41 overall due to signability concerns. The extra money saved on the number one pick was used to convince McCullers to come aboard, and the rest was history. 
A clear criticism of the Astros under Luno is that they whiffed on the number one overall pick in both 2013 and 2014. They drafted Mark Appel and Brady Aiken, respectively, in those years. But they were able to deal Appel in a trade with Philadelphia for Ken Giles, who was their closer in that 2017 championship season, and they later flipped Giles for current closer Roberto Osuna. Hardly an ideal outcome when you're selecting first overall, but better than nothing. And when the Astros were unable to agree on contractual terms with Aiken due to concerns about his physical, they gained an extra pick and extra bonus pool money for 2015. They used the extra pick at number two overall on Alex Bregman, and they used the extra money to sign both Kyle Tucker, one of the top prospects in baseball, at number five, and Daz Cameron, one of the pieces that would be utilized in the Justin Verlander trade, at number 37. All of this is a long-winded way of saying the Astros have done pretty well for themselves in the draft, all things considered. That's what they envisioned when they brought Luno aboard, and they brought Luno aboard because of the success he had demonstrated in St. Louis in years like 2009. Here's Luno's ultimate takeaway on the draft process. It's something that uh, we, we always preached even before that, and that is that, yeah, you should get a big leaguer in the first round. But if you're doing your work well and you focus just as much on the second round and the 10th round and the 15th round and 20th round, there are lots of big leaguers out there. And if you do your work right and you trust your scouts and you use all the information you have, um, you're going to be able to produce a lot of value from later in the draft. And it's something that we've done well here in Houston as well. I mean, to me, oftentimes the most exciting days of the draft are late in day two and day three when you're picking players that no one's heard of and then you see them and, and you know, they turn out to be big leaguers. That's, that's pretty exciting. That right there, that is the overarching lesson of the 2009 draft. It was proven in St. Louis where the Cardinals didn't select a superstar but did find five 25ths of a World Series roster. It was proven in Millville, New Jersey where one of the greatest players ever toiled in relative anonymity. It was proven in San Diego, where Steven Strasburg went from an undrafted high schooler to a unanimous number one. It was proven from coast to coast, from Lake Forest, California, to deep in the heart of Texas, to the southeast tip of Florida, with Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, and J.D. Martinez all slipping past the first round. We can learn from these stories that, quite often, the things that are most difficult to scout, heart, hunger, determination, that fire in the hole that precious few possess, are tools arguably as important as speed, power, average, fielding, and arm strength. And as baseball readies for another draft, another crapshoot, people like Luno will do their best to uncover hidden gems that will one day dot and define the major league landscape. I hope you enjoyed this look at Jeff Luno's impact on the 2009 draft. Thanks to my producer, Marissa Morris, and thanks to MLB.com reporters Richard Justice and Jennifer Langosh for their interview assistance with this episode. Thanks to Jeff Luno, Matt Carpenter, and John Mosellock for helping us tell this story. If you like the show, be sure to download the other episodes in this series to hear the 2009 draft stories of Mike Trout, Steven Strasburg, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, and J.D. Martinez. You can subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. If you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us to help others find the show. Until next time, I'm Anthony Kastrovitz, and thanks for listening.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.